Well, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be here to open up God's Word with you. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And just while you do that, let me quickly recap where we have been over the last few Sundays and then quickly introduce our theme for today. If you've been following along with us either in person or perhaps online, maybe on holiday or poolside, somewhere glamorous, you will know that we've been in a series recently titled This Is Us, where we have been thinking about some of the key images that we find in Scripture that help us to understand the deeply humbling and challenging ways in which God views us, us, as the church. These images are deeply humbling because they help demonstrate the depth of love that God has for us. And these images are also challenging because they call us to embody these things that we read about. They call us to embody them and to sacrificially become like these things more and more over time. And so three weeks ago, Dan kicked us off and reading from John 10, we thought about how we are God's flock that we are his sheep and he is our shepherd, that he relentlessly defends us and guides us into green pastures and even pursues us when we are lost. We are God's flock. And then we heard from our new friend, Dr. Paul Gibson from Orlando, who reminded us from 1 Corinthians that we are the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head and where we are each different parts of the body in different contexts, with different functions, sharing in the one same spirit. We are the body of Christ. Then last week, Dan shared with us from Ephesians 2, and we thought about how we are the family of God, adopted sons and daughters from every age and stage and background brought into his redeemed family, the church, this imperfect but nonetheless unique and special family that's empowered by the Spirit to love each other just as our spiritual big brother Jesus loved us. We are the family of God. And this morning we're finishing off this series by reading from 1 Peter as we think about being the temple of God, that we are and that we are becoming a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And we've been in this series at the start of the summer for a good reason. Summer's a really funny time spiritually, isn't it? At least I find it to be one anyway. On the one hand, I find it to be a refreshing season that's full of rest and trips and just a slower pace. But on the other hand, it can also be a disorientating one as well, perhaps where we've been out of routine, perhaps where we feel physically well rested, but spiritually detached. Around here in church, small groups and our programs stop. We might not be at church every single week. We might not have seen some church friends for some time. And if we're honest, our spiritual habits in the word and in prayer and in our mission as the people of God can be put on pause. Summer is a funny time, isn't it? And so I personally, I have loved this series because in a season where it is so easy to spiritually detach, to forget who we really are, and to forget how we really are supposed to live, God has been reminding us that we are his flock, that we are his body, that we are his family, and as we're thinking about today, his temple. 
And so we really do hope that you have been blessed and encouraged by this series. So on to today, this is us. We are the temple of God. Let's read from God's Word. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And let me gently, gently remind you that this is the most important thing that you will hear all day. This is God's Word. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple of the Spirit to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that is our key verse for today, verse 5. So if you're making notes or you've got your journal there, go ahead and highlight verse 5. That's our key verse. Reading on, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who, to, to, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone builders rejected this stone. He's become the cornerstone and has become a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. For, but you, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we end there giving thanks to God for His word and for how it still speaks to us today. We are and we are becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit. As we dig into this theme today, there are really three key questions that I'd love us to think about. Question one, what does it mean that we are a temple of the Spirit? Two, why is it so important that we know that we are a temple? And question three, if we are a temple, what should happen in us? And in terms of how this message will actually feel, I'm a type A person, so I like to be quite organized and know how these things kind of flow. In terms of how this message will feel and flow, section one will be short to the point. Section two will be a more dense theological section, so stick with me as we go through that longer, more dense section. And then section three will be much, much more practical. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? Perfect. Good. You're with me. Right. Let's go. Question one. What does it mean that we are a temple of the Spirit? What does this phrase really mean? Well, in short, the word temple here really just translates as dwelling, as a dwelling. And in Greek and Roman societies, there were loads of temples. They were often carefully built. They were full of statues, often housing lots of artifacts and treasures of different kinds. They were places that housed God. They were places that housed gods, and they were places that housed the worship of those gods. And so when Peter writes here and tells us that we are and we are becoming a temple, it means that we are a dwelling place for God. And not just any God or any deity, but Yahweh, the great I am, who we read about in Scripture. It means that this God, that God's presence resides in us and is with 
us. And this is a supernatural and deeply profound reality. Indeed, the Bible tells us that when we become Christians, God makes his dwelling in each of us. God gives us his spirit, and we are supernaturally inhabited by his presence. And then when we are all gathered together, just like this, Sunday after Sunday, in small groups, in smaller groups, even with friends and family around this church, we become the church. We become a community which is indwelt by his presence in a special way. I love how Professor John Swinton put this at the Alpha Leadership Conference this year. He said this, what is the church really? What is the church? It's community indwelt by God's presence, community indwelt by God's presence. We redeemed people are inhabited by God, and that means that God's presence is always with us. Again, be reminded of Jesus' words in the Great Commission, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God is with us. God is in us. Remarkable. You know, last week I spent some time catching up with my granda, who is actually sitting here today. He showed me around his apartment in Limavati, and in one of the rooms, I stumbled across this really old picture that he's got up on his wall. Now, I hadn't seen this picture in years, but I always remembered seeing it in every house that my grandparents lived in. And so when I saw it again the other week, it was such a deja vu moment. Did you know those moments? Real deja vu moment. Took me right back to being a child. And here's a photo on screen of the picture. And the picture says, this Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. Do you see it? God always, always with us, supernaturally, constantly. God in us, in our homes, in our bodies, in our souls. Amazing. And if you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian, please just hear this. Whatever you think Christian faith is or the church is all about, God's offer to you is not good living or a moral framework or an organized, put-together way of life. God's constant invitation to all of us is to come to him, to know him, to accept his love, to be forgiven by him, and to be indwelt by him. Not only are you missing out on salvation, but you are missing out on this incredible indwelling of the Holy Spirit. A life marked by the encouragement of the Spirit, the help of the Spirit, the authority and the conviction of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. Please do not miss that. So first thing this morning, what does it mean that we are a temple of the Spirit? It means that we are indwelt by God's Spirit, individually and corporately. We are and we are becoming a dwelling place for God's Spirit. But then secondly, and stick with me throughout this section, secondly, why is it so important that we know that we are a temple of the Spirit? Why is this actually important to know? 
Well, in part, we know that this is important because we see this temple and dwelling image and phrase repeated in Scripture. Not only do we see this New Testament phrase in 1 Peter, but we see this exact phrasing repeated in Paul's letters to the churches in Corinth and Ephesus and elsewhere in Scripture too. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, we read this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? Then in Ephesians 2, we read that in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And so when different authors repeat a phrase or image like this, we should recognize it as being important because they are emphasizing something that is key. They want us to see this. It's important. They are trying to get their message across. In other words, and if you're making notes, repetition signals importance. Repetition signals importance. This is important to know. Well, okay, Shane, this is repeated in God's word. These authors want us to know this, but why is it really, really important? Well, among many other reasons that we don't have time to get into today, here are two key ones. The first of which is this, because God's spirit in us is a unique gift and privilege. God's spirit in us is a unique gift and privilege. You know, for us Christians here today, it's possible that we can start to take God's presence for granted over time, his indwelt presence for granted over time. Okay, God is in me, but there is something remarkable here that we should not just gloss over because we have to be acutely aware that God's presence wasn't always indwelt in his people in this way. We as a dwelling of God have his presence, and that wasn't always the way things were for God's people. And to fully remind ourselves of how special this temple reality is, I think it's helpful to review the broad movements of God's presence throughout Scripture. So let's do it this way. And don't be intimidated by this a timeline. It's been a while since I've seen a timeline in a church service. Let's do this this way. On the screen behind me, you will see that I have created a condensed timeline of the movement of God's presence in Scripture. This, of course, is not extensive or holistic, but hopefully it's helpful for today. So theologians in the room, direct your questions to Dan or Stuart afterwards. But follow along with me as we walk through this, the presence of God as we find it in Scripture and history. And so in Genesis, God's presence is with Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember that really lovely line just before the fall where it says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. God fully with man, no boundaries, total access. And then moving on, sin enters the world. God consequentially removes his presence from human beings. Instead, he brings himself now to particular characters at particular times. So we see God in three persons come to the likes of Abraham at Mamre. We see God wrestle with Jacob. We see God meeting with Moses at the burning bush. God's presence with particular people at particular times. 
Moving on, while he doesn't totally stop meeting with individuals, and especially prophets in this way, he then goes on to instruct the Israelites to build the tabernacle, the first physical temple where his presence would dwell, where priests would make sacrifice and meet with him on behalf of the people, the first human-built temple, God's presence in a building. Then later in the Old Testament, when Israel as a nation is established, God calls Solomon to build the temple in the promised land, which becomes a structure like the world has never seen before. And then after the temple falls and is rebuilt and the people of God wander and they come back and wander and come back for hundreds of years, God himself steps into the story in human form. God puts on flesh and comes to us in Jesus, Jesus himself becomes the temple, indwelt presence in human form. And then later, because of Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary and victory over sin, Jesus makes it possible for all of us to be indwelt by God's presence. The curtain is torn in two. All of us can be in God's presence. God's Spirit falls in the church at Pentecost and dwells in his people. And this is the moment that we are living in in human history. God's presence at work in and through us, the church. And then finally, at the end of that timeline, in Revelation, we read that the, in future, we will be with God forever. In the new heavens and the new earth, Eden access to God restored. We will be in his presence forever. This is the story of God's presence throughout Scripture. And so, church, when God's word tells us that we are a temple this morning, please be refreshed and encouraged by this truth. We are a dwelling place for God's presence. We form a prophetic picture of what is to come in future God with his people. We should never, never lose the wonder of getting access to God in the way that we do. This wasn't always how things were. So why is it important that we know that we are a temple? Why are the authors, Scripture in the New Testament emphasizing this? In part because God's indwelling presence is a unique privilege and gift. It wasn't always like this for the people of God. Do not take it for granted. But as well as that, it's important for us to know that we are a temple because God's indwelling presence reaffirms our identity, which is the most important thing about us as Christians. You know, the most important thing about you is your identity. Your sense and belief in who you are anchors your life and your actions. This is how you were designed. And from studying and lecturing and undergraduate and masters and PhD criminology and sociology and psychology, I could stand here and go to great lengths to prove to you why that is empirically true with stacks and stacks and stacks of research evidence. Your identity is at the core of who you are. And so much of your life and behavior flows from it. And what's vital to remember is that both God and the enemy are after your identity because they know that everything else in your life flows from your belief in who you are. To push this a little bit further, I think that Scripture tells us to be acutely aware of this, especially in a day of identity crisis. So just think about this for a moment. 
with me. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, what was the enemy's original attack on God and on his people? It was an attack on identity. As the serpent tempts Eve, he challenges God's identity and our identity. He challenged God's identity by basically saying, is God really trustworthy and does he really know best? And he challenges Adam and Eve's identity by saying, you could be as knowledgeable as God, basically elevating yourselves to his status. And this is an out-and-out attack on the identity of God and the identity of his people. And ever since, the enemy has been doing the same old thing as he lies and as he steals and as he kills. As C.S. Lewis put it, the enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. The enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. How will the enemy do that? By primarily going after your identity. And just to make this clear, what does the attacking voice of the enemy sound like as he goes after God's identity and as he goes after yours and mine today? Well, it sounds a little bit like this, especially after you have messed up or gone through really hard stuff. It sounds like this. If God was loving, why would he allow this to happen to you? God doesn't really know best. Don't pray or go to church or read the Bible. Just lounge and watch another episode. You're not really lovable. You're always going to be a failure. You could never be forgiven. You'd be so much happier if you just lived how you wanted to live. God's not really telling you to get involved in his mission or go and pray with that person or speak to them about Jesus. Is he the attacking voice of the enemy? It sounds a little bit like that, doesn't it? And the enemy goes after churches too when we are together. You know how he does that? By trying to convince us to forget who we really are so that we just start going through the religious good living motions. We just become Sunday Christians with no Monday through Saturday belief or practice or authority or mission. He goes after us collectively as the church too. That's the voice of the accuser attacking our identity and God's. And what does the voice of God sound like in contrast to all of that? What does his voice sound like? Sounds like blessing. Blessing. The enemy's first words to humanity are a deceitful attack, but God's first words to humanity are a blessing. In Genesis, God's very first word to humanity, they're a blessing and a command to be fruitful, multiply, increase, rule, and to subdue. And ever since the fall, God has been speaking truth to humanity, proving his identity over and over and over again, calling us to believe that we really can be his redeemed, blessed family, that we really can be a dwelling of his Holy Spirit, that we really can be who we were designed to be. And what does God's voice sound like? Might sound a bit like this. I want to restore you. I want to help you. I want to be with you. You are loved. Your life is valuable. You are cherished. You are forgiven. My way is better. Come to me and I will give you rest. You can be a carrier of my presence. God's voice sounds an awful lot like blessing and affirmation to me, which should fill us with deep, deep security and peace. 
And in a cultural moment and in a society where we are becoming more free than ever to be who we think that we want to be, we're finding out that we're drowning in identity crisis. As John Tyson puts it like this, he says, one of the greatest gifts Jesus Jesus gives to us is robust, secure identities. This is such good news in a world of such fragile cultural identities. In a day when we are increasingly drowning in our own sense of freedom, we are drowning in identity crisis. And in this moment, God offers us a secure and a blessed identity. Thank goodness for a secure sense of self. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We sing that here, don't we? The enemy attacks, but God blesses. Every tactic that the enemy uses is ultimately aimed at attacking your identity and making you disbelieve that you really are indwelt by the presence of God, that you really are his. Because the enemy knows that if all of us really start believing that we are the temple of God, and if we start living that out, that we will be unstoppable in God's mission. So church family, please hear the voice of God this morning reaffirming in you your truest identity. I love this because this is true regardless of how we feel about it. It is true at our best, it's true at our worst. Exhausted parents this morning who just went out and left your kids to Kingdom Kids, God is with you. Tired teachers sitting marking maybe exam scripts or soon prepping for the new term, God is with you. Arguing Christian couples, God is with you. Wandering Christians who have drifted for years, now God was always with you. You, Sharon, you are a dwelling place of God. Gemma, you are a carrier of God's presence. Matthew, God's live, God lives in you. Dan, you're a royal priest. Chris, a beloved child of God. Cameron, an adopted son. Beryl, a cherished daughter. Carn Money Church, can I encourage you? Reread First Peter this week. We are a temple of the Spirit. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. This is our identity. God has said it, and so this is true. Be encouraged. So on to kind of near our last section. Why is it so important that we know that we're a temple of the Spirit? Because God's presence is a unique gift and privilege to us. And because his presence reaffirms our identity, which is the most important thing about us. If we really believe in who we are, we will be unstoppable in God's mission. So let's move on to the practical stuff now. Thanks for sticking with me through section two. Let's go to the practical stuff. If we are this temple of the Spirit, what should happen in our lives? What might this mean for us? Well, verse 5 in our reading today says that we should offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord that are made acceptable through Christ. And I'm going to keep this simpler. You know that we don't only offer up spiritual sacrifices intellectually, right? The Bible tells us that real faith is both understood and is practiced. Real faith is understood intellectually and it is practiced, it is lived out. 
And so when God calls us a temple, it means that we have to practice what we intellectually know to be true. So we believe in our minds that we carry God's presence. And when we do that, we, with God's help, intentionally go out in our daily lives and sacrifice more and more and more of ourselves to the way of Jesus. And I love how the message translation of Romans 12 frames this when Paul says this. Just read along. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its own level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, and he develops well-formed maturity in you. This is what we as the temple should look more and more and more like. A secure, deep-rooted, and missional community and dwelt by God's presence, increasingly offering up our ordinary lives to him. Need me to be more specific? Sometimes I want preachers to be more specific. Let's do that. Individually, what might this look like? Well, it might look like some of this. Individually, we take care of our physical bodies. We take care of our mental health and our well-being. We actually look after ourselves. We don't live recklessly or wastefully or apathetically. We look after our bodies. They are a gift. We look after them as best we can. And also, this temple reality changes our outlook on ordinary life in work and with family, with friends and neighbors. So nurses, you carry the presence of God on the hospital wards. Your presence should change the environment. Work really hard. Care for people as God does. Follow his promptings there. Office workers, you carry the presence of God into your offices. The atmosphere in board meetings should change because of your voice. Staff banter and staff humor should shift because you are there. Conversations should become kingdom-orientated and people-honoring. Teachers, you carry the presence of God into your classrooms. Your classroom should be markedly different than others. Pupils should experience a great teacher who is, yes, pastoral and caring, who's firm, who's invested, and also who is praying. Bus drivers, fitness instructors, carers, caterers, and consultants, you should be known for the presence of God. You should be different. You should model the kingdom of God. Kingdom kindness when people are rude to us. Kingdom generosity extended to the selfish. Kingdom love serving the excluded. We need to understand, because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we carry God's presence into every room that we walk into. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Or is this all just conceptual head knowledge? Or is it biblical faith that is understood and then practiced, which follows us out of the doors of this sanctuary every single Sunday? Do we really believe that we carry God's presence in our day-to-day lives? That's individually. What about collectively then? Here's just one thing that this might look like, and we're nearly there. Here's one thing that this might look like collectively. Choosing to be together regularly. When we gather together as a temple, 
We provide a lost, disorientated world with a prophetic picture of heaven. And in a society, in a cultural moment where there is rapid church decline, that has never been more important. The world needs to see our devotion to one another in the presence of God in a day when it's so easy not to go to church. That means we have to show up. We have to be together. We have to build relationship. We cannot be a united people if we are not here. We can't really love one another if we do not show up. You can't love and get to know and walk beside and pastor and care for people by listening to a podcast. And in that, we have a responsibility to bring people into our midst as we gather so that they can experience a foretaste of heaven and that they can encounter Jesus because that's part of our missional calling. Invite people, bring them along, do it unashamedly, desperately. You know, I personally believe that actually going to church every Sunday will increasingly become a missional testimony over the next decade. In a day of rapid church decline, actually showing up to Sunday morning worship will become a missional testimony. Weekly church attendance won't be the norm at all soon. In fact, it probably isn't right now, statistically speaking. But yet it is such a good opportunity to share our faith and to physically get others into God's presence. We need to show up for each other and invite people into our midst, into the temple of the living God. And so just as I close and I invite the guys to come back and get set before they lead us in worship, just as I close, what does it mean that we are the temple? We are a dwelling place for God's presence He is in us and he is with us always. Why is that important to know? Because this is a special gift and because it reaffirms our identity, which is the most important thing about us. Remember, God and the enemy are at war and they are after our identity. What might that mean for our individual and corporate lives? It should make us individually and collectively offer up our ordinary stuff to God and to get really serious about sharing his presence everywhere that we go. And so in these moments, I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. And so can I invite you to stand with me, actually? You know, public speaking of any kind, public speaking will only ever motivate you to the car park. Public speaking, good or excellent, will only ever motivate you to the car park. It will not change your life unless God moves on it. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to move on what has been said because only he can bring about transformation in our lives. And so let's pray. Let's bow our heads. If you're comfortable, I encourage you just to hold out your hands. God is here. We are his temple. He's already been speaking. He's already at work. You know, for some of you in the room, that message will just have inspired you. You'll have got fired up. Let's go. If that's you, great. But for others, I have a sense that you're just really struggling to believe that you actually really carry God's presence. Perhaps you just feel so ordinary and limited. 
Perhaps you've been listening to subtle lies of the enemy. Perhaps for you this morning, the challenge is really embracing this part of your identity, that you are a carrier of God's presence. And so if that is you this morning, I want to pray affirmation over you. For others, this might feel like a bit of a wake-up call. If that's you, please understand this isn't about trying harder in your own strength or being better, but rather about accepting the call of God and to get intentional again. So I'm going to pray freedom and intentionality over you, if that is you. For everyone else, I want to pray that God's Spirit does its work in us in whatever other ways that He needs to, to highlight key words and phrases, to draw you back to His Word this week, to take you out of this building changed, transformed, inspired, ready to go and be a temple in your context. And so let's pray together and then we'll sing. Lord, we come to you now and we still our hearts and our minds before you. This is us, flock, body, family, and temple. This is who we are. God, for those of us in the room who have just been inspired, put fire, a fire like has never before been in their life, in their hearts. Send them out of this room energized, ready to minister. For those of us in the room who are just struggling to believe that we actually carry your presence, expose the lies of the enemy this week. Restore a right understanding of who we really are in you and what you called us to. For others who have heard a wake-up call this morning in the midst of this message, put intentionality in their hearts to actually do something this week with what they've just heard. Unsettle them and strengthen them to make really good decisions that help them to walk in the way of Jesus. And Lord, for anyone in the room who doesn't know you this morning, perhaps who has been wandering away from you for a long time, call them back to yourself. We pray for salvation. We pray for recommitments to be made this week. Steadily, step by step, are returning to you. And now, Lord God, as we worship, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? We recognize that you are here, but we know that your word tells us to be refreshed daily by your Spirit. So help us to fully enter in, to raise our voices, to lift our hands in worship, and to really be a temple of glory in the rest of our time together this morning. Amen.